Marvelites. You're listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale June 7th, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for Megadeth. Ooh, I, look, don't even get me started on Megadeth. I knew. I love Megadeth. I knew it. That's yeah. not the Megadeth I was talking about. I was talking about the Megadeth from last week. Ooh, too soon? <sighs> wow. Sizzling. You know what? I'd like to think somewhere in there, someone who's played in Megadeth would help us celebrate Pride because it's our first yes. Pride episode of the month that we kind of sneakily snuck one in right before yes. Always. <laughs> last week. But just celebrate it all year long. It's great, everybody. We have this month and it's fun and it's awesome. But like, it's all year long. Yeah. Represent. Um, and we are going to represent all the comic stuff because this is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details and reasons to check out every new comic every week. We'll give you our personal three picks of the week. We'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery reason for you to check out those issues. And using a quote from one of this week's books, we'll give an award to each of those issues. Then we'll run through all the new Infinity comics this week, some books hitting Marvel Unlimited otherwise, picks on collections, and so much more. On top of that, we have a reading club. What are we talking about? Yes, we're going to be talking to uh, writer Stephanie Williams, um, who has a new character debuting in Marvel's Voices Pride issue number one that comes out next week. But we're going to be talking about Captain America and the Falcon issue number 190, which is a nightshade story, which is also the name of the character that Stephanie Williams has co-created. But despite all of this, I want everybody to know that the book isn't necessarily queer, but I will let everybody know that when we were interviewing Stephanie, there was one note under this book by Ryan that was like, this book is wonderfully gay. And I was like, so what we, we didn't really get to talk about it because we, you know, it's one issue and we spent a lot of time, but like, there's some undertones that if you want to read them and I do want to read them, you could, that was just how I read it. I mean, that's valid. I feel like that works. I I support it. Nightshade was like, oh, like Cap, you kind of look cute in a straight way. And like, (laughs) I mean, I'm here for it. I loved it. It was great. But look, you can decide for yourselves when you read Captain America and Falcon number 190 and hear us talk about it later in the show. But for now, let's get into our picks of the week, starting with Daredevil number 12. Now, it's been stuck in my head the whole time. It is so good. It is, again, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Marco Coquetto, and colored by Matthew Wilson, with lettering by BC's Clayton Cowles. This is... Like, this whole run, this volume of Daredevil has been one big saga, the Red Fist saga, and we're coming really to a head. There's three issues left, including this one. So we're getting to the end, and they are just going for it. If you are looking for the return of Sam Chung, aka Blindspot, he's in this issue, and it's a really gnarly, wild way. I will not spoil anything more. But to see him back made me so happy because he was such a cool part of Charles Soule's run as writer. And he went through some terrible things, awful things. Uh, and to see him here was was really wonderful. We also just, I mean, the level of art on this is something uncanny. There's stuff we see here with Matt and Electra, the way that. You know, obviously we've talked about the way Marco draws Electra's hair many times and it is beautiful and gorgeous. I love it. Oh, it's incredible. Um, There's a whole sequence here because part of this is set in Japan and you've got a beautiful samurai vibe. The leaves falling from the trees, the wind whistling, the uh, like stances where you just see two warriors about to go at it. And there's some beautiful, beautiful panel work in here. Even little things like the way that Marco draws Matt's hands and the little details. There's so much beautiful stuff. There's a panel in here in which they kiss. And I was just like, oh, it's gorgeous. It is gorgeous. And it is everything about it will just like stab you in the heart and lift you up at the same time. It is a beautiful, beautiful story as we're seeing Matt taking the, the fight to the hand in a way that you did not think was possible, probably was hoping wouldn't happen, but has to be done. There's also this silhouetted shot. So silhouette Ugh. meaning, right? Like 
gorgeous panel work. This whole comic has just like really wonderful use of shadows and silhouettes. Yeah. Like it, it's just beautiful. Yeah. So Matt and Electra are just like in black with the background beautiful and colorful and uh, it's incredible. And the chips take on Matt's love for Electra and their fights. And at one point he's, you know, he's think you, you, they're watching them fight because she's like trying to stop him from doing something. He's like, I got to do this. And they're, they're going through their dance and he calls her my daredevil mm-hmm. or he thinks about her as my daredevil. I was just like, Oh my God, they're so beautiful. Um, yeah, there's some silent panel work in here and it's so effective, uh, because you know, like you have masters telling a really great story. I won't get into too much of where they're going and, and, and how this is going down, but the last page has a costume change format. So and like, badass. we have to make sure the Marvel Legends team. Please, please, gets please, this. please. Like, I absolutely need this one. Yeah. Uh, if you have not been reading Daredevil, shame on you because it is Eisner Award nominated. It is amazing. It is incredible. We love, love, love it. But you could actually jump in on this one and just ride ride the wave to the end, mm-hmm. and it's going to be amazing. So please, everybody, go check out Daredevil number 12. Uh, next up is my first pick of the week, Immortal X-Men issue number 12, Shocker. Mm-hmm. Um, can you believe that that's my pick of the week? <laughs> but it is written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Wernick. Uh, we have colors by David Curiel and letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. And like, I love this book. I love this book so much. Each issue is just wonderful. And the thing I like about this this entire series is that each issue is told from a perspective of a different character. And this is the first time we're getting one where the perspective is a little bit different. Um, That's because it's told from the perspective of Colossus. And the interesting thing about Colossus, if you've been following him throughout the age of Krakoa, is that he's not quite in control of, like, you know, his whole autonomy, Um, there is essentially someone in Russia who is controlling him and writing his narrative. And so like the story is sort of told through their perspective. And there's almost this, like, I don't know how to describe it. It's like this, this writer is like just taking joy in like the pain and the suffering that he's causing. And just almost like in this like weird sadistic like way that makes it very like interesting to read. Uh, because you also do get Colossus's commentary on the writer, um, and like what's happening. Uh, it's almost like he's just kind of like writing inside of his body as the actions and words are coming out. And it's like, he's just a prisoner in his own body. Uh, but the biggest thing in this issue, if you know me, I, you know, I stand for my queen, Celine, um, mm-hmm. all for Celine supremacy. And she returns in this issue and is like, Hey guys, remember when you guys wouldn't let me have a seat on the quiet council? Maybe it's time for me to be here. Uh, I was kind of right. And uh, also, you you killed me, so I think you owe it to me. And everyone's like, how did you get back? And she's like, don't worry about it. Uh, I'm back. And you should give me the seat. And so the interesting thing about this is what ends up happening is Shaw kind of corners the Quiet Council because he, he realizes that there's an opportunity because of the four that have, are compromised by uh, Sinister. And so he, he's like, you guys don't have a vote. So you guys have to leave the room and we're going to take a vote on whether or not Celine can have a seat. And it is vicious because the members that we have on the Quiet Council at this point in time are like, like Colossus has a couple different votes. He's voting for Storm and Nightcrawler. Um, and he's kind of built this this alliance with, with Shaw on the side. And there's stuff going on between Destiny and Mystique, which is just heartbreaking. And... It's truly just like a blood fest of like just backstabbing and just politics. It felt very like almost like I was watching like The Sopranos where I'm like, hmm. oh, I, I know how this is all going to play out. Like these alliances are built. These moves are being made. Like this is this is scary. Um, it's, it's just a matter of how it's going to play out. And that's very much what's going on here. Um, but it's it's a vicious 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 issue and it's gonna have some massive repercussions moving forward yeah oh man really great issue all right our third pick of the week is loki number one uh very excited for this it is written by dan waters art by hedemon peralta colors by mike spicer lettering by vc's travis lanham um dan has not done a ton of stuff for us but i'm very excited he's been coming in hot and this is it's a killer first issue. Hedemon, oh my gosh, we did the Maestro series 
for us um, last year, or yeah, I think it was last year. So good. This is a, a, a big issue. It just there's something about Hermann's art, especially with Mike Spicer, the, the textures, the detail, and particularly like Hermann will throw lots of world building into all of his panels and pages, like background stuff that he does not need to do, little characters, little flourishes, and it just it it really brings you into the story and it's really wonderful wonderful stuff uh but when we get into the story it it, it we're digging into s- like this narration and you're like huh what is this narration and you find out that the book is narrated by Nagelfar if i'm mispronouncing that Torin i know you're listening you can please yell at me uh but Nagelfar is Loki's ship made from the fingernails of the dead and we've seen it we saw it in um one of the war of the realms books not too long ago but here you're you're actually getting this this issue narrated by this like collective feeling of of those dead souls those dead spirits and the nails and all the evil and the hatred and the nasty stuff in there so You've got this really cool vibe, but they're telling the story and they're they're giving us what's going on. Uh, and then we shoot over to Loki, who is well. We see one Loki, but then we see another Loki, and we see our like current modern day god of stories, Loki, just having a drink in Florida, wearing a he's wearing a yellow Florida T-shirt with an alligator on it, which is. <laughs> tremendous and he's reading about um a florida man which is a wonderful meme florida is a weird wild place uh in it and thor's like there's something going on we've got to figure it out and loki's like oh no everything's gonna be fine then he realizes what's starting to go on and it ties back to him it ties back to his history ties back to his you know previous versions of himself and he's like ah crap and seeing how things are starting to spin out and it ties into him as being the Lord of Jotunheim. So there's, you're building on all these different things that have sort of made up who Loki is, but it doesn't feel weighed down. We're really moving very quickly and very forward into giving Loki a mission, which is always fun. You know, like Loki kind of needs something to do idle hands, you know, and all that stuff. So having him need to do something and fix something that is, indirectly directly indirectly his fault uh, allows us to get into some big things there's a wonderful little scene where uh loki does this magic bit of like sleight of hand where there's a ship off in the distance that thor and loki see and it's, it's a regular sized ship but they're so far away loki takes his fingers and he sees it as small and just magic whoop pulls it and it is that small and he puts it in a bottle. And I was like, so cool. That is the, that is such a cool little thing. It also reminded me of kids in the hall and I am crushing your head for everybody out there who is old an old head. You'll get it. You'll love it. Oh, ooh. Jasmine, did you notice in the, the Florida scene, Loki's reflection? Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Hold on a second. Oh no. Whoa. Yeah. That's cool. Again, uh, maybe this is in Dan's script. Maybe it's Herman. Maybe it's the two of them together, really just doing something awesome. But there's those little touches. You got to pay attention to what they're doing on these pages. It's it's a great first issue. Loki on a mission. Chaos, calamity, absolutely gorgeous art with some some like watercolor textury business. Moving forward, I can't wait for more killer killer stuff. Plus, he teaches the frost giants how to read. Like I, yes. Like how wholesome Loki's for the giants. Hey, he can't, he takes care of his people. He does. All right. That is it for our picks of the week. But before we move on to talk about the rest of our fabulous fresh floppies out this week, we got to talk about the award. Last week's award was this is like being attacked by an angry preschool. And it was from Deadpool number seven. Now, who was the winner? Who found that quote first? nobody what is going on if y'all are sleeping on deadpool shame 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 but that's okay that happens it's fine maybe 
this week you'll find the quote and you'll let us know and maybe I'll be twice as generous. Mm, but first, let's get into this week's award name. Jasmine, what did we choose? All right, this week we're going to go with love in the form of a tornado. Mm-hmm. It's a good one. But yes, if you find this quote, screen cap it, tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List or email us at pull at marvel.com or send it to us on Instagram. If you're the first, I'll reach out to you, get you a recent digital comic of your choice, and please mark your messages as okay to read pull lists so we can read them here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out. Yes, but if you're not the first to find the quote, uh, we've got another way for you to win. You can score 500 Marvel Insider points uh, just by going to marvel.com slash insider and looking for the Marvel's Pull List Quote of the Week activity. You'll be asked to identify the correct quote from four different choices, which should be easy because, you know, you're listening to this podcast. And if you choose correctly, you'll get those 500 Marvel Insider points. Heck yeah. All right. Let us dish out that love in the form of a tornado award to the rest of our fabulous fresh floppies this week, starting with Bishop War College number five. I think this is a great one to read as a full limited series, like as one story, because you're, you're sort of bouncing around a couple different universes and doing cool stuff, but like Bishop and Tempo as your main characters, so good. But I'm going to give my love in the form of a tornado award to Sinister, who even Sinister hates Nazis. Love to see it. Love to see it. All right, next up we have Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, issue number 13. I'm going to give my Love in the Form of a Tornado award to this insane two-person, like just amazingly trustful move where Captain America, Steve Rogers, essentially runs down a mountain to cause an avalanche. And then just as he's about to get swallowed by the snow, he leaps up in the air and has Captain America Sam Wilson catch him, uh, wiping out all the bad guys beneath them. Keep in mind, Sam Wilson just beat the crap out of him, uh, which is still like impressive. Like how? Superheroes, that's how. Sam's no joke. No. Uh, All right. On to Deadpool Batter Blood number one. Uh, we got some excellent Rob Liefeld action in here. Look, I'm just going to give my love in the form of a tornado award to Rob. Drawing Cable and Wolverine. Hell yeah. Even though they're like wonderfully like the the story like pulls them out uh, a couple pages in and we get to see a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but there's a lot of panel layouts and stuff here. And I love how many damn glorious pouches and action and stuff is in this issue. It is my jam. Next up, we have Fantastic Four issue number eight. This could have been a pick of the week for me for sure, too. But um, I I just love the fact that Ryan North put this like spin on this classic like story trope where it's like, oh, today we're going to have an issue where our girls go to the mall and like, you know, hang out. And in this issue, we follow Invisible Woman and Alicia like just shopping for supplies for the rest of the team. But, you know, things aren't quite what they seem. There's a mystery uh, happening in this issue and it involves people missing and disappearing. And I'm going to go ahead and give my love in the form of a tornado award to Flamo, the fourth member in this new Fantastic Four team that we get. Hell yeah. Flamo rules. Flamo's wonderful. Yeah. Uh, all right. We've got Groot number two out this week, which is really fun. Again, this is a Groot story, but it's also a an old school Marvel story. And uh, it is a lot of fun, but I want to give my love in the form of our tornado award to seeing how Marvel became a captain. I thought that was really cool, too. Yeah. I was like, oh, I didn't. I, maybe that that's yeah. not a story that was ever told. Here we go. Next up, we have Invincible Iron Man issue number seven and another great issue by Jerry Duggan. Um, Hell yeah. This issue, I don't want to spoil too much. But just know that I'm going to give my love in the form of a tornado award to Rhodey, who we get to see him in the like red and gold Iron Man suit, which was pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Uh, also, this is one of several issues this week, which features uh, Phalong, the Orcus crew, Stark Sentinels, all that stuff. Uh, they are everywhere this week, everywhere, including Red Goblin number five. Showing up in here in in really cool ways. I'd love. There's not like a 
requirement for them to be here, but it really sets the Red Goblin and and in the Marvel Universe and really helps build the threat of these Stark Sentinels. Uh, but I will give my love in the form of a Tornado Award to Carnage, just getting into the wires and tech. We saw that happen at the end of the last part of Carnage Reigns, and it's really in here and it's nasty. He's infecting people. They're going mad, like some sort of mad bomb. Oh. All right, next up we have Spider-Man issue number nine, and there's a lot that happens in this issue, and I really enjoy it because it's it's bringing a lot of different characters together in a room that might not normally be in the same room together, including Jonah and Norman mm. Osborn. Um, and Jonah has some words for Norman. Hell yeah. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and give my love in the form of a tornado to the fact that Dan Slott somehow managed to slide in this just Norman Osborn joke from the original Spider-Man movie. Uh, where he has Norman come to dinner and is like, sorry, I'm late, Mrs. Parker, talking to Aunt May. He's just like, it's a jungle out there. I had to beat an old lady with a stick to get these cranberries. And I was like, damn it, Dan. Like, are you kidding me? <laughs> There's so many Danisms in this yeah. book. And I love and it I love so it. much. Yeah. I love it. I can't There's be mad. Tremendous. Hell yeah. Uh, we're on to Star Wars number 35. This issue, uh, I will give my love in the form of a tornado award to how this issue really does a great job of sort of bookending, mirroring Charles's work on Darth Vader from a couple years ago in the Darth Vader series, and it's particularly when Darth got his red lightsaber and what he went through and sort of seeing how Luke is going through a similar but different path in this mm -hmm. and and how that looked and is like even some of like the visual references that are called back to here it is awesome it's a great issue that is very psychological and emotional killer stuff yes i'm also going to quickly add that if you've been following star wars and you've seen some orange lightsabers out there and you want to learn more about bleeding red crystals i definitely think you should pick this issue up because there's a lot of information in this issue that pertains to that which i thought was really really cool all right, next up is Star Wars Return of the Jedi, The Empire. This issue was weird. Uh, it is like, I mean, we've been following this like Return of the Jedi uh, miniseries where we get different like one shot issues. We had an Ewok one. We had one in Jabba's palace, but oh, we had a Lando issue. Um, and it's just like following these like characters from in between these two like movies and like how we got to where we got in uh, Return of the Jedi or just following them a little bit further. And in this issue, we're exploring um, what it's like to, you know, work for the Empire. And guess what? It turns out to be not fun. On to Star Wars Yoda number eight. I'm going to give my love in the form of a tornado award to Yoda and Anakin teaming up and just so many dead clones. Just. Wow, there's a panel where they're just littered all around their feet. It's a bummer. So cool. But seeing them fight together, super fun. It's so cool. Next up, we have Venom issue number 20. And again, another issue where it's like you just get to see a bunch of carnage and a lot of fighting. Uh, but also, how did we go this long with Eddie Brock, uh, you know, just in, you know, his his normal like civvies, just hanging out, but like wearing a black Venom jacket? Like that just seems like the best way to hide a symbiote. Like you get to have this cool like black leather jacket with the Venom logo on the back and then also wearing a himbo Frankenstein shirt. Amazing. Love it. Fashionable as always, Eddie Brock. Mm -hmm. We love to see it. Uh, and for that, you get the love in the form of a tornado award. Yeah. All right, on to X-Men number 23 would have been my third, my pick of the week, but we went with Immortal at both amazing picks, but I freaking love this issue. Oh my goodness. We learn uh, something huge about Mother Righteous in this issue. Uh, we get more Stark Sentinels in here. We get an X-Men trading card variant uh, featuring Horticulture, which uh, is is terrific. We get Joshua Kassara doing so much good work. We get a throwback to the second issue of this run with Dr. Stasis and his family, which is gnarly, gnarly stuff. Cyclops is in his 90s blue and yellow pouchy costume, and he looks fantastic. You know what? I'm going to split my award. I'm going to give my love in the form of a tornado award to one magic who uses her stepping discs so in cool. such a cool way. I don't know that we've ever seen that. Maybe we have. I haven't read every appearance of hers, but I was like, 
Oh, it's so good. And then I'm going to give it the other part to two pages of conversation on a beach between Emma, Wilson Fisk, and Cyclops. There's so much going on there, talked about there, revealed there, just swimming in there. I think this is a must pick up issue for sure. Like this could be should be a, like technically a fourth honorary pick of the week because it's yeah. there's a lot going on in here. It really is. Last but not least, we have X-Men before the fall, mutant first strike. And this is another issue that's packed to the like the yeah. fullest. Like it is there's so much going on in this issue. Um, so many characters in this issue. I I was just stunned at the amount of like mutants that Steve Orlando was able to pack into this scene. But like when you first open this up and you start reading, you see this core team and they all are sporting red and white jackets and like just uniforms. And I don't think we've seen anything like this, but like it's just such a cool thing to see new set of uniforms and like a, a new like team. And on it, we see Angel Triage, Tempo Penance, Jean Grey, Bishop, Cyclops, Storm, Iceman. But then that's not even it, because as we, as the issue proceeds, like we see a ton more who jump in here in the fight. We see Theo, we see Thunderbird, we see Cerebro, we see Sumnus and Thumbelina and Wicked, uh, Icarus, Escapade. Like, and the, and like the thing I love about this is that Steve Orlando just knows what to do with them. Like he he knows how like these mutants. Like some of these are deep cuts, but like he knows how they work and how they can work together as a team. And he just finds like the easiest way is to just show that these characters know how to work together. Um, and like truly showing how the mutants work best as a team and as superheroes. So for that, Steve gets my love in the form of tornado award. Hell yeah. Um, also I got a shout out that they put in ice cream. I don't know him. Yeah. Because nobody has read obnoxio, the clown, a book from 40 years ago, except me and like five other people, including Steve. I don't think it's on Marvel Unlimited. I can't imagine. Uh, now I have to check. This is easily the coolest mutant power I've ever seen. He, his mutant power is to create ice cream. And he, he thought he sucked. He rules. But he rules. Actually, actually, Obnoxio the Clown versus the X-Men uh, from 1983 is available on Marvel Unlimited. That is required reading. We should find someone to talk about this issue with because hell uh, yeah. Steve, <laughs> do you want to come on and talk about this issue with us? Hell yeah. Oh, I love Obnoxio so much. All right. Anyway, those are our books this week. A lot of great stuff for you to read. There's a lot of great collections out this week. There's also a lot of great stuff hitting Marvel Unlimited, like the Infinity Comics this week. We've got issues of X-Men Unlimited, Love Unlimited, Little Rocket. Uh, We've got the finale of a uh, big finale for the Spider-Verse arc in Spider-Verse Unlimited uh, finale for Iron Fist and Pay in Marvel's Voices. We've got a new arc of Avengers Unlimited. It's all about Rick Jones's Locker by Jeremy Adams and Alan Robinson um, with Iron Man and She-Hulk doing some stuff in there. We've got a new series, which I don't have any information for y'all about it just yet, but is Blade First Bite. And uh, hopefully we'll learn more about that real soon. But that's coming out this week as well. Yeah. Also coming to MU, we have Captain America Sentinel of Liberty issue number 10, Star Wars Hidden Empire issue number four, and Venom issue number 17, all of which were uh, picks of the week for us a couple months ago. And I also want to quickly shout out I Am Iron Man issue number one, which is by Mm. our boys, Merwa, Ayodele, and Dotna Kande. We love this series. It's amazing. You should be Mm -hmm. reading it. Heck yeah. Lots of great stuff this week all around. And you know what? Maybe while you're on Marvel Unlimited checking out those books, you can read Captain America 190 from 1975 and then hear our conversation right now with Stephanie Williams. All right, Jasmine, it's time for a fun throwback reading club with one of our returning guests. Hello, Stephanie Williams. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Jasmine. Stephanie, I'm so happy you're here. Stephanie and I go way back, like literally same preschool, same all middle school, like all of it. We're, we're, we go way back. <laughs> um, but you're also from Chicago. 
Um, and very recently we, we discovered that like, we actually did grow up in the same, like, like maybe by like a year we missed each other, which is crazy. Which is really insane. But like, I'm so excited because I think the last time that we had you on the show, you were, you were just starting to write for us, um, at Marvel. And now like, you've just kind of become this like juggernaut. I keep seeing your name everywhere and it makes me so happy. Um, I know you did some work with the distinguished competition, but like. You're making some big moves here at Marvel, too, which is very exciting stuff. Uh, It is. It's a little surreal. All of this (laughs) is surreal, to be quite honest. Um, So even to the point of creating a brand new character, I was like, oh, I almost dropped my phone in the museum because that's when I got the email. Um, I was away at an event and like just walking through this uh, museum exhibit. uh, And yeah, I was like, wait, what? (laughs) <laughs> I want to get into that uh, because I, I, I'm curious about what that process looks like about creating yeah. a new character. Uh, but maybe before we do that, we should kind of talk about the story that you brought us to kind of set the stage for this character that you're bringing into the Marvel Universe. Yeah. So uh, Captain America 190 that follows uh, Nightshade. She comes back. Uh, the reason why I picked it is because uh, she takes over S.H.I.E.L.D., which is Nothing that is easy at all. So I felt like it was a nice little snapshot of uh, Nightshade. It's still very uh, black exploitationist in its depiction of her, which, you know, a little wonky, but at the same time, I can. Hello, wonky. Yeah, very wonky, actually. (laughs) Uh, But something that. I don't know. Like, it's an issue that I will always remember. So uh, I, I hope you all have fun with how insane that issue is. <laughs> it's so kooky. I love it. Yeah, it's it's bananas. Um, we're going to get more into that. I, I do want to sort of couch it because so you say, you know, very black exploitation-y and it, let's, let's set the time for this because this issue came out July 8th, 1975. So, you know, right in there, you've got... Um, on the Marvel side, we're doing black and white magazines. We're doing um, a lot of Kung Fu stories. We're doing a lot of monster stories. We're not, we're doing a little bit of sort of black exploitation stuff. You've got Power Man, Luke Cage has been going on for a little while. I think that really helps set the scene for what's going on because this is an era where like we're, we're getting a little bit more weirder Captain America stories, right? Like we were already getting the like the creepy like monster vampire stories and werewolves and like we get a little bit of it here, but it's like, Couched in that, but also like this, almost like it start. You can see it start going towards like that spy thriller esque type genre, which I think is really really cool. And especially with like the stuff that happens in this issue with Falcon and uh, Nightshade. Yeah, um, very much uh, like a, a Bond villain. Uh, yeah, she is giving us a little bit of Grace Jones before Grace Jones would be in a View to Kill uh, decades or two later. So. Yeah. Uh, I think that's another reason why uh, that character in general always just kind of stood out to me because you have this black woman who is extremely smart and gifted, uh, but because uh, whatever opportunities that could have been available to her, she didn't have access to them. And it was just a little bit easier to slide into a life of crime uh, with folks that valued you. So uh, even though like when we meet her again in this issue, she is like just doing all the wild things at S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, You learn how she pretty much disguised her demise, which I thought was brilliant. Um, So you get some brilliance from this character. But you know what I mean, Jasmine? You get get that little... She yes. was serving it for yes, sure. Absolutely. Um, so I, I don't know, like the Afro puffs, the bathing suit, the the tiara, all of that. Uh, these are all things that, sure, looking back on it now, extremely problematic, especially with uh, Yellow Claw and all of that. Oof. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we can't ignore this stuff. We can't ignore this stuff because we have to learn like why this was difficult, why this is wrong, yeah. you know, and, and I think, you know, having these conversations, it, it ain't fun, but no. got to have them. You have to. Um, and I think that's like a lot of older comics. I enjoy going back to read them because they are such a snapshot of what is going on at the time, be it bad, good, 
terrible, everything in between. Uh, so no, you're, you're right. And they're, they're tough conversations to have, but, um, it's just always interesting to see like what flew, what does not fly today, where they went wrong, or if those characters are brought back and retooled and fixed in a way, uh, by creatives who can better speak to what that character should have always been. And in the case, Nightshade for me. Mm. I I also want to point out that she Nightshade first debuted uh, like two years beforehand in Cap 164. That's 1973. I got to imagine they were also like, you know, they see Pam Greer in Mm -hmm. in Coffee and then they see her come back in Foxy Brown. And they're Mm -hmm. like, clearly she's amazing. Maybe they don't land on it right, but you could see inspirations that they were pulling from. I'm glad you brought that issue of Captain America up where we get that because it is mentioned in this story. And I thought that this might have been the first appearance. But then when I saw that editor's note, like I quickly was like, oh, I want to check out that issue. And I did. But like I thought the thing that was done in this issue is that you don't need to go back and read that issue, really. Like if you want to, you can. But like you get that story in like two panels here, which I thought was very well done uh, because it just told you exactly what it, what the events of that were and how it affects this current story. So if you're like, oh, I need to go back, you don't have to worry about that. The thing is, you couldn't, you almost couldn't go back. 1975, it was so hard for most comic book readers to find these issues because if it's not on the comic rack, you know, like the comic, you know, a retailer or 7-Eleven or whatever at that time would be getting rid of the comic since you might have to find it at a, like a thrift store, secondhand store, someone, you know, maybe mail order, you know, like it's really hard to find those issues. So they have to put all that deep, deep, like explanation, even for the the last issue. Did you all notice the, uh, the editor's notes about, Hey, if you missed last issue, (laughs) you messed up. Here's what happened. And they say it like five times, like you messed up, you missed last issue. You will not be able to find it. There's a lot of like peer pressure in here. And I'm like, yeah. wow, I've never been, I've never felt more bullied by a comic book ever. Like I was like, I have to go get these comics, even though they're almost 50 years old. Um, also like, okay, we haven't given the credit yet, but I, I want to talk about the artist in particular because the art I found just delightful. Uh, but it's written by Tony Isabella with pencils by Frank Robbins, inks by Vince Coletta, colors by Michelle Wolfman and letters by Dave Hunt with editor Mark Wolfman. And like, the art that like Frank Robbins draws in this book is just like, I, it just gives seventies off to me. Like some of the poses that some of these characters are like doing, whether it's cap punching someone or like whether it is nightshade posing in like a dramatic fashion. First of all, can I just point out that in every shot that we get nightshade, like a full body or at least see her feet, she is never standing on her flat feet. She is always on her tiptoes. And it is my favorite thing about this issue. She's just like, ta-da, I am here. And I only walk on my tiptoes, even though I have these like thigh-high boots on. Um, (laughs) It's wonderful. But like, there's just so much movement going on in in each panel. Um, There's panels where you see like Falcon and Cat both working together. And like the amount of action they put in each, like single panel is just phenomenal because it's, they're not that like big. They're a little condensed and you get so much in each panel. Yeah, this issue doesn't feel static at all. No. Uh, and I think that's another reason why I was like, hey, let's do this one. Because it's such a quick read because the story is just, it's moving from the time you get there to the time it's over. Um, again, just like a really fun, quirky time. Uh, and also, I Tony Isabella, co-creator of Missy Knight. So, like, no. absolutely, yes. Yeah. Co-creator of Misty Knight, he was working on a ton of Marvel books at the time. Definitely a legend of of comics for sure. It's this I love this book. This issue made me really enjoy this era of Cap again. Like I haven't gone back and read this stuff um, in a long time, and I only have gotten like slivers here and there. And I'm just like, maybe I should just do a full Cap deep dive because um, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Oh, absolutely. And then you have like Nightshade really giving, I guess, how she perceives him as like this straight lace muscle bound hunk or whatever who, uh, you know, she would she would mind having him as her king or both as uh, she pitches to uh, him and Falcon. I think at one point she's like, you're really cute in a straight way, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's something totally different then, but 
even reading it now, I'm like, yeah, that's so valid. <laughs> so funny. I clocked that line too. That was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. She, she has a, we should say at this point, Nightshade, um, she had used a, a serum in the previous adventure and, and she still has the ability to control men, um, which I don't think she had throughout her entire time in the comics. But uh, and the line in here is the power to control most male type human beings, which I love the distinctions there. There's like most male type human beings. All right. That's good. I would add also being able to just like throw the most shade at any given time, <laughs> like just ruthless. Like at one point she was like, go get those guys pointing to, to both Cap and Falcon. And then she was like, I want these motherless superheroes <laughs> wasted. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah yeah but it's that type of snappy writing and dialogue too that still feels timeless in a way even though it is a little i mean it is it does date itself but it's you know all that vernacular comes back and it is reused and repurposed in another way and it still works yeah because like of course they're motherless (laughs) (laughs) one of my notes was like it's kind of rough at times but she rules like she just even from the get this is what her second or third appearance she's just she's captivating as a as a fun character as like yeah she's bad but you're like kind of rooting for her because she's having so much fun she's not bad i refuse (laughs) (laughs) stephanie i have a question for you where when was the first time you you came across nightshade uh so i was actually doing research uh, i think on misty night uh, and I, I don't know, somehow like I read an issue of Luke Cage and Iron Fist and I don't remember what exactly happened, but it was one of those things where I was like, huh, I think it might've been an editor's note and something happened in Captain America and the Falcon. And I was like, oh, let me go read that. Mm-hmm. And I just kept reading. And then I came across Nightshade's first appearance. I was like, wait, who's this? <laughs> Evil Misty Knight? I mean, that's simplifying her, but that's not her at all. But uh, that was my first impression. And then from there, uh, like, turning Cap and Falcon into werewolves, like, how do you not stand Iconic. like that? Right? Iconic. And, and doing it for fun. Because, again, like, I think of her as a Bond villain, and I, I'm a huge fan of the Bond franchise. So... Anytime I can see like a villainess that is just giving me a little bit of that, I'm all aboard. So uh, <laughs> just like this is really cool. And then also like she is a woman of STEM. And that's something that I like as a woman of STEM myself, I was like, I, how can I not root for her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad that you brought up the STEM part because that's how I knew of her. I knew yeah. of her. This is weird. But like I knew of her because of priests like. Uh, Black Panther run because she is kind of like brought back and almost like I don't know like modernized in a way where it's like he or redeemed in a way where it's like she's not necessarily a villain but she's working with Black Panther as like a scientist and like is helping out Um, like she's dealing with Mephisto and like stuff alongside Black Panther and I thought that that was really cool but like I didn't know anything about her Um, and the only other experience I ever had with her was like there was this like random like Nighthawk series in like I remember that the early 2010s yeah. where she was like pretty much the like woman in the chair for Nighthawk at the time. And like, I don't know how I remember that, but that that's, that's what I think of when I think of Nightshade. Um, and it also takes place in Chicago. And I think that's why it like s- sticks in my head. Um, that series at least does, but pretty wild. She's been all over the place. She has. She is a well-traveled uh, woman. Uh, she shows up again, and it's another Captain America story. I think it's four-parter, but when uh, I'm blanking on the character's name, but like it's total women domination. Like there's a cruise ship, and all of this is going on. Nightshade is uh, like the chief science officer, and again, it's the hey, Cap. I'm here again. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's someone, even though they are, of course, evil, like they are giving her her just due in being a brilliant person. Uh, so like by the time that uh, she shows up in Priest's run, retooled, it's just like, yeah, like she always had like a, the capacity to do better with her life if those opportunities were available or if the right people had just kind of paid attention to her and gave her that. So right. Uh, you know, 
I would have I wouldn't have mind if she would have stayed a villain because hey I'm always here for black women who are just going to be a little bit of evil like it's okay with me but it's nice to see her be redeemed because I was like hey so for this new character like let's give Nyshea a legacy yeah uh I think that that takes us to our like next logical point where we wanted to talk about the new Nightshade that you're working on and co-creating. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> when Sarah uh, reached out to me, Sarah, uh, editor of, and the brilliant woman behind putting together the Marvel Voices along with Angelique, I was like, did you mean to send this to me? So like, it, I got the email and everything. Like I said, I was like, I was at a museum and I was like looking through and I stopped and I, uh, the answer of course was absolutely yes. But then like when that adrenaline roar off, I thought, well, wait, what? Like who, like who am I going to create? Like, what is this, what is this person going to look like? Like what will be their background? Will they have ties to Wakanda? Will they be a mutant? All of these things. Uh, because like when you're younger, I know for myself, like if I ever had a chance to create a brand new supervillain, I was like, oh, or that's super, well, I would like to create a supervillain, but superhero, <laughs> a little subconscious slip there. Um, I thought I would want them to be somebody who, uh, I don't know, if the person picked up the book, a reader, uh, they would be able to. I don't either see themselves or be relatable in some way. Uh, so immediately I thought I was like, Hey, stop my previous life. Uh, I've always loved superhero stories where there's an accident in a lab or something and someone becomes a hero. Uh, so that was just kind of my entry point. And then I thought about uh, nightshade and how I felt like she was just this brilliant scientist who just needed to be seen and have community support behind her to, I don't know, steer in a better direction. So, um, that's just kind of how that all came to be. And then a more difficult part of naming conventions. So like naming the superhero, like that is way tougher than I could have even imagined because how do you figure out a name that sticks? Uh, and nightshade sticks. So I'm like, Hey, if that's not being used right now, let's, let's go that route. And thankfully, uh, so far, um, I'm all good and all clear for nightshade. Uh, having read the story, you know, I, lo I love the lab accident thing. I think that's such a fun thing that we can have in comics, but also that sh it, it's her fault that she's in, yeah. you know, it's like, it's not just like, oh, this thing happened to her mm -hmm. and then she moves on. It's like, no, she's responsible for her own situation and, and she's got to own it and she works through it. And that's important character building. That's an important journey for her in, in even in that story. But I'm sure in going forward, we need those moments for our characters to sort of like deal with their situation. I thought that was a really good touch. Thank you. Because uh, a lot of that. So there is no surprise here. Monica Rambeau is one of my favorite characters <laughs> um, and her introduction in um, Spider-Man annual 16. I've always appreciated that story because, you know, it's her fault that she ends up getting her powers. I, I, I love the agency there. Uh, so definitely I had that story in mind when, when thinking of this character, I was like, yeah, I didn't want it to be, something that happened to her, I wanted it to be a proactive thing, whether it was her fault for good or for bad. Um, I always think that I just, for that character, I, I wanted that piece because I wanted to set the tone early on and uh, kind of firm like, Hey, uh, she's not somebody who is just letting things happen to her. Uh, she is trying to be proactive in whatever it is that she's doing. Cause I, I don't know. I think that's an important piece for a superhero to have. Yeah, and and also just like Monica Rambeau, she discovers her costume in a in a storage warehouse, and it's actually Mardi Gras uh, parade outfits yeah. um, that she tries on. Good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, listen, that what a better way to find your your costume too, right? Yeah, I guess I go with this one. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to circle back to is like we kind of hinted at Chicago and like I brought it up at the beginning because we're both from the same area and like I this character is also from Chicago and I think that the thing that I really enjoyed was that like you 
one, you centered it around community, but two, like within that like familial community community and like really like showing that like it takes a village to raise someone. Um, and I truly found that refreshing here because I feel like in the world where we get a lot of motherless superheroes, like it was it was really nice to see, you know, yeah. not only like her immediate family, but like you you said it the beginning of it at least, or some of it in the beginning at a family reunion, which I thought was cool. Yeah, uh, because we hardly ever get that. Uh, that's not superheroes' fault, but a lot of times their origins are very tragic in nature. Uh, it sets the tone for who they are and why it is that they want to uh, be the greater good in the world. And uh, you know, for me, I was like, yeah, that's that's fine, but like, you could still desire to be the greater good in the world if you come from a you know a loving, supporting uh, cast of people in your life too. Uh, if anything, that would possibly make you even stronger. So, um, I don't know, like coming out of STEM, there were a lot of times where I felt isolated and just lonely. Cause a lot of times it was maybe, I don't know, four or five other black folks in the classes. Uh, if I was lucky, uh, another black woman would be there when I moved on and started working in labs. Uh, whenever I did see another black person, it was like, Oh, Hey, oh my god what floor are you on like you like let's grab lunch because uh sometimes it was few and far in between so again like just kind of understanding how important that is to have people to rely on who can you know know where you're coming from have those same shared experiences um I don't want to spoil it, but there's a character that was introduced by Al Ewing doing, during uh, Civil War II that mm-hmm. I was like, oh my gosh, she exists? I <laughs> couldn't believe you brought that moment into this issue. And it was a tough moment to bring in because yeah. it, was not, <laughs> it doesn't paint a character who I actually like in the best light. However, um, you know, it's really more so a thing of she was just trying to do her job, but we don't always see like how a superhero doing their job affects everyone. It's like, Oh, they're, they're doing this thing to stop the universe from ending. But even in doing so, it still has this ripple effect. So what was this ripple effect? This ripple effect, we end up getting a new nightshade. Thanks. Thanks. Mystery woman figure that we're not going to (laughs) spoil. Yes. Thank you. I hope you're doing better. I, I did like that you were able to like touch on various points of continuity, bring in stuff like bring in ISO eight, which we don't get to see yeah. for a while. You know, it was in a lot of our video games and various stories for a long time. And, and it's still there. It doesn't just like disappear, but it's pulling that pulling the continuity, the legacy, but still making it feel like if you just read this because you wanted to read the pride issue, you know, you could just come in and it's all right there. It's, it was, it was a good job of, of, giving back to people who are like hardcore about all the Marvel stuff, but also easily, easily accessible. So good job there. Yeah, no, thank you. Um, And that's the other thing about creating a new character who isn't going to be like a legacy holder of these bigger mantles. So Captain America, Spider-Man, um, Charles Xavier, if he ever had a mantle to pass. <laughs> but, but you know what I mean? Like, that was another thing that was important to make her feel like she had a lived experience in the universe prior to meeting her. And like, that's, man, that's a little tricky to do in 15 pages. Uh, so I appreciate that, Ryan. Like, that means a lot because that was something that I I really wanted my to try my best to give that for her so that when you meet her it's like oh yeah i absolutely want to root for you you've been dealing with all this stuff in the marvel 616 and you're here yeah like let me uh, be along for the ride with you and whatever you have going on in the future i will say too that like i as soon as i finished reading this issue or as soon as i finished reading that story in marvel's voices pride uh number one i immediately was like i can see her in like so many different places in the in the marvel universe like she just fits um, she's like already pretty connected, like you mentioned, like to a couple other legacy characters, um, or like it's just like an intricate web where I'm like, like she's in Chicago, like I'm like, will she meet? And in STEM, it's like, will she meet Riri Williams? Is like my first thought, and like you know, I immediately jump at like all these different possibilities, and I'm very excited to see where she goes next. Um, yes. But I wanted to ask too, like, because you co-created this character with Hector Barros, and like. 
what was that like creating the visual like collaborating with him um and creating the visual for the character like- so hector is amazing i um I was like, hey, like, this is the vibe I'm going for. I share, like, sometimes I'll pull tarot for characters. Ooh. Uh, I won't give away what card I pull for her, but it, it fits. Uh, so I shared that with him as well as, like, her likes and, like, what music she listens to and, like, how she is as a person, someone who is really headstrong, as you can see uh, from the story. And then from there, uh, what color scheme I was thinking of, I was like, hey, I'm thinking of like these three sets of colors. Do with that what you will. But everything else, uh, I had no doubt in my mind that Hector would like knock it out the park. And he absolutely did. Um, Just coming up with interesting ways to include ISO 8 or Nightshade, uh, the actual flower into her costume. Uh, he had the brilliant idea of giving her powers that Kirby-esque type of look, which mm. I loved so, so <laughs> much. Uh, like, you have no idea. And I was like, wow, I am just so happy that uh, Sarah reached out to you for this project because he really brought his A-game. Can I guess a tarot card? Yes, go ahead. And you can tell me if I'm right or wrong. And if I'm right, I'll bleep it. Okay. Is it Yes. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. It is. Yeah, Tarot is, it's fun uh, because, I don't know, like, it, one, it just kind of gives me some direction and, like, what this personality type would be. Uh, sometimes I've even gone as far as, like, doing a whole astrology chart, like, birth chart for this character. That's amazing. Right? Because, like, you know, we're already, we kind of do that to each other in real life, so... Yeah, you know, you could do this to a character, no pushback from them, but it kind of gives you an idea like, hey, uh, Gemini Moon, Libra Rising, all of yeah. these things to just kind of go and just get really wild and crazy with how they would interact in this world. That's awesome. I, I love that idea of like the, the, doing a full birth chart for characters because it, like, yeah, like it, it not only like helps, I, I'm assuming with the writing process, but yeah. also like it sets the map like you know you can always refer to it as like your you know it's your true north type thing where it's like okay like i know where this character how this character would react to this because of these types of characteristics absolutely um and it's just fun especially like if you're building a cast to mm. uh how they would uh mix uh would they get along uh you know who would be the person who is like doing this powerpoint presentation for well, like where we should go to eat uh, and yeah. who is just kind of like, oh, just throw a dart and we'll pick that place. It's it's just so fun. I, I love it. Uh, I think it was Guillermo de Toro who I read an interview and I found out he pulled tarot. And I love him down. So I was like, oh, the greats? Absolutely. Let me let me go ahead and borrow this. Um, Stephanie, before, as we're starting to wrap up, I would love it if you could just explain as much as you're comfortable with about her powers, we see a bit of it, how it works here, but I think it's, it's a cool thing ties into the stem of it all and, and, and who she is. And I, I really, I, I think that's a neat way to take this character who is not exactly the same as classic nightshade, but how you, you sort of evolve those thoughts. Yeah. So, um, I know for nightshade, the original nightshade's powers, uh, were, if she had any at all, it was a little passive. So her being able to control man, uh, cause I was thinking like pheromones and stuff like that. Um, and then I was thinking, Hey, whatever her power set is, I would like it to be something that could evolve with her. Uh, so I thought body chemistry. Uh, so if, uh, she is able to control her body chemistry and just do some really cool things like, you know, heat things up with her touch or cool them down really fast or just getting real bonkers with it. And I was like, Ooh, superpower ATP. So like, that's what, you know, gives your muscle, like helps you move your muscles. So just thinking of all that, I was like, yeah, let's give her the ability to control her body chemistry because what she is actually working on with a derivative of ISO-8 uh, is treatment for uh, a disease that affects a lot of African-Americans. So it's sickle cell anemia. And I was like, yeah, like let's, and it wasn't a thing of she wanted to, she wants to cure it. It's she wants to help with treatment because that is something that is 
severely lacking. So, uh, and just thinking about how that will work, I was like, yeah, this, this matches, uh, how her powers could work. And we can always like build on that because there's just so many insane things that your body could do all in itself. So, uh, like I'm looking forward to seeing how, uh, that evolves with her as she, she goes on her, her adventure into the Marvel 616. I love that. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Stephanie. Uh, Marvel's Voices Pride issue number one, 2023 is coming out next week. Uh, So definitely make sure you pick that up. Uh, Stephanie, where can people find you to get more information? Uh, You can find me at Steph underscore I underscore Will on Twitter, TikTok, or Instagram. Also check out whysteph.com. And yes, please uh, come, come check me out. If you haven't checked out already on marble unlimited i'm writing a little rocket which is a fun wholesome time with everyone's favorite raccoon so please check that out love it thanks so much thanks Steph. yeah thank you big thanks once again to stephanie for coming on the show a third time hell yeah love to see it it's an all-star right there um very cool stuff Uh, again read marvel's voices pride when it comes out next week we will be talking about it and uh yeah so much more this episode of marvel's polis was produced by ryan panagos and jasmine Estrada. brad barton is polis senior manager of audio production and development jill deboff is our director of audio make sure to email us over at polis at marvel.com or use the hashtag marvel's polis or okay to read polis on twitter and instagram um, you can also rate and subscribe us, which we would really, really, really appreciate. Um, give us those five stars, please. And tell friends. Mm-hmm. For more information and full quarter of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com slash pull list. Quote rules, terms and conditions apply. Open to U.S. residents 18 and up. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only. Terms apply. Visit marvel.com slash insider to join or sign in to answer the Marvel's pull list quote of the week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. You're you.